This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. That comes your way, Rangers and uh, Penguins tonight. So uh, certainly a lot of focus there. We've already talked about uh, the Knicks a lot as they get their win over the uh, Denver Nuggets earlier this afternoon at the Garden, 116 to 110. So nice performance there as Jalen Brunson back and had a big start in that game, big finish in that game, and the Knicks get a much-needed uh, really kind of signature win for them as they move closer to uh, the, the postseason. Now 10 games to go. They clinch a winning season, so all good stuff there. We focused a lot on Aaron Rodgers, as we are legally required to do here on uh, Sports Talk Radio. And um, wanted to talk uh, a little Mets as well at 1-800-919-ESPN, the telephone number, 1-800-919-3776. And we're hoping to have Pat Rangazzo of uh, Sports Illustrated joining us here shortly. And look, um, you know, we're getting close to opening day. It's less than two weeks away now. I think it's 12 days or 10 days until opening day. And everything had been going along pretty swimmingly for the Mets. And now some injury concerns for them, not the, the least of which uh, is uh, Edwin Diaz lost for the season after the, the whole celebration at the World Baseball Classic. And now how do the Mets approach things in terms of, of closing out games? Because, you know, there are closers and then there are closers. And after last season, there was no more dominant closer in all of Major League Baseball than Edwin Diaz. He was, uh, he was lights out. And you wonder now, how do the Mets attack this? Because he was a real weapon, especially when you consider the age that they have in their starting rotation with, with two guys leading that rotation at 40 years of age. You know, you like to be able to know, okay, well, we might have to, and I think all teams kind of go into the season trying to work out what that bridge is going to be and how important the bridge is for every team. But at least you know at the back end of that bridge, you have the most dominant closer in all of baseball in Edwin Diaz. And now the Mets, after signing him to a five-year contract, uh, have to kind of figure out and, and what, what road do they go down here? Now, Steve Cohen has certainly been uh, aggressive in the past. He was aggressive this offseason. He's been aggressive since taking over the team. So I would think before too long, if it is an issue, if David Robertson is, is struggling in that role in any way, I'm sure that the Mets are, are going to be uh, aggressive in uh, pursuing some other options, and it wouldn't take long before some options to present themselves. But let's get the, uh, the word from Pat Ragazzo, who uh, covers the Mets for Sports Illustrated and is nice enough to give us a, a couple of minutes here on this uh, Saturday evening. Pat, what's going on, my man? Nothing much. I uh, hope you enjoyed your St. Patrick's Day, and thanks so much for having me on again, Gordon. Well, obviously, I would guess uh, if I had a dollar for every time you had mentioned the word Edwin Diaz here over the last week, I would be a very rich man. Um, uh, I guess where we start is how do you think the Mets uh, approach the, the back half, of the, you know, the last inning of the game now with the, the injury to Diaz? Right. Well, they do have David Robinson, who he had 20 saves last year between the Cubs and the Phillies. He's 157 career saves. And he's a, he's a proven guy. Of course, the Mets signed him to be their setup man this year to Diaz, and now Diaz is likely done for the year. So, um, so yeah, so I, I do think that they're going to pivot internally, at least in the, in the early portion of the season, of having Robertson be their closer. But there are some other names out there uh, who they could potentially maybe swing a trade for or maybe sign someone uh, off the free agent market. Um, they've been looking at Zach Britton, who had a, a sim game in California on Thursday, and the Mets were one of the teams in attendance watching him. Um, the Mets were interested in signing, potentially signing Britain prior to Diaz being injured as well. 
Um, now kind of makes sense. He's a Buck Show Walter guy uh, from his time in Baltimore. Um, and then there's there's another name out there in Corey Knable who is coming off a tough year uh, with the Phillies, but uh, he, he is a reliever who has some success, a track record of success. Um, but, yeah, the, the Mets, I think, initially uh, probably need to turn to David Robinson to be their closer um, this season. And look, I mean, it's never good when you're losing players before the season begins. But, uh, you know, with previous ownership uh, of the Mets, I think that this would have been a far bigger issue. I mean, it's not like you're trying to go out and, and find if, if it does present right? If, if, it, if it turns out that for whatever reason you need to add to this team, either in the ninth inning or in the in, in the other parts of the bullpen. Steve Cohen's made it pretty clear, and the, 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 the closer's position, the bullpen availability is going to be there for them to make a move here if it does turn out to be an issue as the season moves along. Yeah, and, and I, I do think that they're going to probably start off with what they have, go with what they have internally. Um, they also have Adam Ottavino and could potentially could go with a little bit of a closer's committee. Uh, early on but um, you know if, if that method doesn't work out if it falters uh, then they're going to have to explore the trade market and see see what they who they could pick up uh, to kind of patch the hole there um, now this this reminds me of um, when Mariano R- Rivera tore his ACL in 2012 with the Yankees um, you know that obviously similar situation best closer in the game goes down for season-ending injury uh, it's like almost all the air is let out of the sails uh, but the Yankees wound up being okay that year. They had David Robinson there at that time, and, and they also had Rafael Soriano, who saved 42 games from the, the, for them that year, and um, and they wound up going to the ALCS. So, uh, you know, the Mets are a good team. They're a very talented team. And while Diaz is a huge loss, uh, it, it probably won't be condemning of this team this year. Yeah. Uh, do, do you get a sense from the other play? Like, I get the feeling that players generally have a tendency to, to move on because things are happening all the time and you get into the season and, and you got a game every day. But is there, initial, um, is there an initial letdown for the other players to lose such a, a big player as Diaz is? And, and do they have to deal with that gut punch? Yeah, I think it, it probably was a little bit of a gut punch to the players. It's very disappointing. I mean, uh, Diaz is an exciting, electrifying uh, baseball player, and uh, you know he's one of the very good guys in that clubhouse that they have. Um, and I think that his teammates were just, uh, you know, they're disappointed for themselves, but they're also disappointed for Edwin Diaz himself. Uh, you know, obviously coming off, uh, you know, a great year, uh, being donned as the best closer in the game, and then you know signing that contract with the Mets, uh, you know, now potentially missing a year. Uh, you know, for this team, it's 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 just definitely disappointing and a bit of a gut punch. But the Mets have leaders in that clubhouse, such as Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Brandon Nimmo. Um, you know, they're they're going to be able to, and, and of course Buck Showalter as well in his leadership. I'm sure he had a conversation with the team. Uh, you know, just saying that this is this isn't going to wreck them as a team. That that uh, you know they'll be able to move past it as much as it, it hurts to lose Diaz for the year. That they'll be able to get past it, and and uh, yeah, with the talent on the team, they should be able to. Yeah, and as a veteran team, a veteran uh, manager as well, you'd figure uh, that the guys with their experience have have dealt with something similar like this before. So it's not you know it's not their first rodeo. Yeah, of course. And and there was times in Baltimore where uh, where Zach Britton was the best closer in the game, and uh, you know he dealt with injuries, and Buck Showalter had to manage his, his ball club over there without without their elite closer. So. Uh, Buck's been there before in his career, and, uh, you know, he's going to have to go at it again, you know, this year without Diaz, of course. 
We're talking with Pat Rangazzo, who covers the Mets for uh, Sports Illustrated. One more thing on the, on the Diaz thing. The fact that it was the patella tendon, obviously, you're not a doctor, I'm not a doctor, but you are around this and you talk to people who are laser-focused on this type of stuff. Does, does the fact that it's the patella tendon, uh, is that more significant than one of uh, the other te- – because I, I just noticed the reaction there were a lot of people, and I don't, maybe it's completely baseless that they're doing this, but it, it's not just that they're worried about his season, which likely is, is going to be nothing, but it almost seems like there's more concern about it long-term because it's the patella tendon. Is that based on anything, or is that just kind of people getting carried away? Um, well, I mean, it's tough to say right now. Uh, and I know uh, some doctors were quoted as saying that um, – who some doctors who didn't look at Diaz were quoted as saying, uh, you know, it is, it is kind of too early to tell whether this is going to be a – a career uh, career altering thing, um, but of course it, it is concerning because the patella tendon holds together all the ligaments of the knee, and it's on his plant leg. So um, yeah, any any time that you have a pitcher who has a, this major of a knee injury, um, yeah, there's there's going to be a little concern, you know, moving forward long term, and if he's going to be able to come back from this. But uh, right now he's young, and and he, he should be able to. Um, that's that's probably the the early. Um, it's, it's probably too early to be, you know, overly concerned about um, about you know how this is going to affect the beyond twenty twenty three. Gotcha. All right. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, we have too many other injuries to talk about here as well. With Brandon Nimmo going down last night, what's the latest uh, in terms of his prognosis? Yeah. So Nimmo, uh, you know, he slid in. He injured himself sliding into second base last night on the Mets' great for the league game with the Miami Marlins, and um, he got imaging done today. He got an MRI in both his knee and his ankle and uh, revealed low grade sprains in both the knee and the ankle. So uh, Billy Upler says that he's week to week. Um, he would not give a prediction of if he's going to be ready for opening day, but uh, you know, opening day now is in is a little less than two weeks. So uh, Nimmo's week to week, it just kind of, it's going to depend on how he responds, whether he's ready or not for opening day. Obviously that's in jeopardy now. We're talking with Pat Rangazzo, who uh, covers the Mets for Sports Illustrated. Uh, some some positives out of spring training, and, and maybe one that's kind of flown under the radar. I was reading about um, Senga and his his ghost ball, and I think it was Pete Alonso, and I can't remember who the other one was, who they were trying to describe the pitch, and, and they just had a hard time kind of describing it. What does Senga's uh, trans, transition to uh, the majors in spring training look like, and, and, and do the Mets still have high expectations for him this year? Yeah, I think the expectations are high for Sanga. I mean, he's a potential NL Rookie of the Year candidate uh, coming off the bat. Um, he's, you know, he's looked pretty impressive in spring. He's sat between 96 and 99, dialed with fastball all the way up to 99 miles per hour. And that ghost sport pitch has been as advertised. It's completely fallen off the table. Hitters haven't been able to really seemingly been able to, to touch it. Um, you know, obviously Sanga had a little hiccup where uh, he, had, he, had, uh, he was having a finger issue. Uh, where he got scratched from the start last week, but he's been, he's been able to come back and make a start and uh, seems to be okay. And I, I think that, uh, you know, he's going to need to step up as the number three starter in the rotation, uh, especially after they lost Jose Quintana. And, um, and yeah, I think the expectations are high for Sanga and the Mets this year. Some of the new rule changes, um, I'm interested to see how uh, the Mets adjust to them because, as we mentioned, you know, they're more of a veteran team. I know that David Robertson <laughs> is not apparently a big fan of the pitch clock. Have, how has been the reaction to the new rules with uh, especially the Mets veteran pitching staff? Um, they seem to welcome it in a, welcomed it in a positive manner. I mean, uh, we saw Scherzer has been toying with it a little bit and 
Bolander hasn't seemingly had a problem with it. Um, but it's just all about getting used to it and getting the timing down and figuring out how they can use it to their advantage. And there are certain ways. I mean, uh, they're, especially Scherzer has been trying to quick pitch guys a lot, uh, you know, as soon as they get set in the box and the clock starts. So, um, yeah, I think that for the majority there's been positive feedback from, uh, from the Mets pitching staff about the pitch clock. It seems like with the Mets, you know, they have high expectations this year. It seems like a team that's, you know, coming even into spring training is pretty set in, in most of the spots. The one name that kind of jumped out to me that at the start of spring training I wouldn't have thought might have been part of the major league team to break camp, but maybe there's a possibility is Brett Beatty. I know he's had a very good camp so far. Uh, is there a possibility that he does break camp with the Mets major league team? Well, I think that his performance this spring – uh, has has really, I think, earned himself a spot uh, on the Major League roster, at least offensively. Uh, he's hit the ball very, very well in spring training and great league play. Um, and, of course, you know, the guy whose thought that he'd be taking would be Darren Ruff. And Darren Ruff has not had a very good spring. He's also dealt with a wrist injury. Um, so I think that Beatty, is, Beatty has a legitimate shot that he could be in the running to make the opening day roster. Um, but the only thing is, and I think this is going to be the ultimate reason why he doesn't make the team out of camp, and it's because his defense still needs work, and that's what the Mets are valuing and prioritizing, uh, is, is developing their, their minor leaguers defensively. And uh, I think Beatty still needs a little bit of work uh, defensively at third base, and they also want to get him in left field as well. Um, so I think if, if he doesn't make the opening day roster, it's because he still has development in his defensive skills to, to, get, to do. Pat, thanks for a few minutes, man, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again soon with the, the season right around the corner, man. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. And that is Pat Rangazzo, covers the Mets for uh, Sports Illustrated. Coming up, get back to your phone calls, get some talk about the Mets as well. Coming up next, it is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. The change, possibly, of expectations as a base, as um as a result of the loss of, of Diaz for the season. First up on the Diaz thing, the, the fact that he's gone for the year and the pushback immediately by so many people, it seemed like in the media, well, you know, hey, don't blame the WBC. For, this is a freak injury. You can't blame the tournament. The tournament's been a lot of fun. People are enjoying the tournament. Yeah, that's all well and good. I hope you do enjoy it. It's it's been The games have been fun. They've been exciting. They've been I don't know if they've been sold out, but it certainly seems like they've, been, they've sold very, very well. But if you're a Met fan who cares slightly or somewhat about the World Baseball Classic, it's going to be hard not to blame the World Baseball Classic. Because if, if Edwin Diaz had not been there, he would not have been celebrating. If he had not been celebrating, he would not have gotten hurt. Yes, it is a freak injury. Everybody can agree on that. But you're going to hate anything that results in your player being lost for the season, especially one as significant as Edwin Diaz. As we were talking about, I mean, the guy's the most was the most dominant closer in baseball last year, and now you have just lost him for an entire season, a season where you're expected to play at the very highest level. So, of course, if you're a Major League Baseball fan, the reason why you're ticked off at the World Base, you'd be ticked off at anything, any event that resulted in you losing one of your star players because at the end of the day, you're a Major League Baseball fan first. It's not that you're a baseball fan. Oh, I just love baseball in all its forms. Well, you may, 
But at the end of the day, the thing that's going to be first on your list of priorities is your favorite Major League Baseball team. So if this happened in the Olympics, if baseball were part of the Olympics, you would be ticked off if your star player got hurt at the Olympics because you don't care about the Olympics as much as you care about Major League Baseball. If it happened at the All-Star Game, same thing. And I get it. I'm probably in the group that uh, does not care as much as others about the World Baseball Classic. I can recognize that it's been a fun event. But at the end of the day, it's a glorified barnstorming tour, tour. It has no actual significance. I'm sorry for all the people who are telling me how, oh, my God, it's so important. Who won the last World Baseball Classic? Do you even know? Who won the one before that? It's, it's not the, the significance. I get it to the players. It is significant. But I think that their uh, level of significance for the event is the thing that is a bit skewed uh, out of out of w- what it actually is. It's not the people who are ticked off at the World Baseball Classic for seeing uh, one of your star players get hurt. Especially if you're a fan that I, I really only care about Major League. I, I mean, honestly, when my when when Yankee players go to the All Star Game and and they say, oh well, they can't go for what the, I, I'm actually relieved because I don't want to see any of my guys get hurt. All I care about is Major League Baseball and seeing my team get as far as they can. And for the people who will say, oh, well, this could have just as easily happened at spring training. Yeah, sure. A freak injury can happen anywhere. But if it happened at spring training, to me, that's part of the, that's, that's part of the deal. Injuries are part of the game, and it took place in the, in the realm of getting ready for the season, part of the season. I can deal with that, even as disappointing as it would be no matter where you lost the guy. The fact that this is happening in an exhibition, even a fun exhibition, even an exhibition that the players really enjoy, it's still going to be very frustrating. And for anybody who's not all of a sudden, you know, fallen in love with the World Baseball Class, I can't imagine there being a scenario where you're like, well, you know, eh, it happened at the World Baseball Class. Nothing you could do. No, there was something you could do. The timing of the event is not good, but the timing of the event, it tells you all you need to know. The event is there so that the owners can make more money. <laughs> it's not about growing the game or making the game more international or any of that stuff. It's just about creating programming that the owners can sell and, and get more money. That's what, that's what every, everything in Major League Baseball when it comes to the owners is about. It's a business to them exclusively. And it's not about the long term. It's about the, the short term. And it's great that, this, that they finally figured out an event that the owners can get what they want and the players actually want to take part in it. That's fantastic. But at the end of the day, it has to be about uh, being a baseball, a major league baseball fan first. So if you lose your player to some other event, yes, you're going to blame that event. And it doesn't even have to be an event. Like uh, met injuries in the past, like Dwan Sanchez, when, when he got hurt in that taxi cab. Trust me, people were upset at taxi cab. <laughs> Why is he in a taxi cab at 2 in the morning? Like, of course, you're going to blame whatever is the result of, of the injury. So the fact that it is, a, it is an exhibition, even one that the players enjoy and are excited about, yes, you're going to be upset if you're a baseball fan. And you should be. You should be upset at what, whatever cost you a player, especially one that's as, as, as significant uh, as Edwin Diaz. So then the other thing about the Diaz injury that I've heard, well, you know, look, this is a huge loss. You know, you, you just lost the, the best closer in baseball. The Mets have this season where, kind of like the Jets, right? I mean, it's World Series or bust. It's a, that's kind of season. 
you, you don't go out and, and do the things that you, you did this offseason and sign the amount of players that you signed this offseason and just simply be satisfied with a, a playoff appearance or a series win or to get to the, to the uh, NLCS. No, the expectation for the Mets going into this season is you, you want a World Series. This is, this is where things are trending. So does the Diaz injury all of a sudden change those expectations? Of course not. Are people serious because you lost your closer before the season? Hate to break it to you. In the course of the season, the Mets will suffer other injuries. In the, court. The, the, the Mets will suffer injuries. The, the Braves will suffer injuries. The Yankees will suffer injuries. The Astros will suffer injuries. And we've seen, like, what was it? A couple of years ago, the Braves lost Ronald Acuna. Last year, the Astros lost Michael Brantley. The year before that, the Dodgers, uh, didn't they lose Justin Turner, like, in the playoffs because of COVID, like he wasn't allowed, and then he was on the field or something like that? Yeah, you're going you're gonna, to – there's no change of expectations. And you could make a, a legitimate argument. There is no team in Major League Baseball that has more pressure to win a World Series this year than the Mets. They have by far the highest payroll in the sport – they just had an off-season where they just spent like a billion dollars. They have a rotation that is led by two 40-year-olds. You know, this is not like some young and up-and-coming team. This is, <laughs> this is win now. And you could throw in the fact, hey, by the way, haven't won a World Series in, what, 37 years? So to me, like when, you, when I look at the teams this year that have the most pressure to win this year, it has to be a balance of, of, of how much you are going for it this year and how long it's been since you've won one, right? Like the Braves, yes, they're going for it this year. They go for it, you know, pretty much every year, but they just won one a couple of years ago, so the pressure is not going to be as high on them as some other teams. So you, if you're talking about the team with the most pressure to win this year, if you're just looking at exclusively this year, it's Mets, Padres, Yankees, Phillies. It's like those four, to, maybe there's another team in the mix, but that's about it. The Padres, they're spending a ton of money. But, I mean, the one caveat they have is it's San Diego, right? It, it, you're never going to get the same attention in San Diego as the New York Mets or New York Yankees. You could say the Yankees, and I would agree with you. The Yankees have a ton of pressure on them to win. They haven't won in a very long time. Uh, and they've only won the one in, what was it, 22 years, 23 years, whatever it is. But you would have to say, like, if the Yankees don't win – well, I mean, it would kind of be a continuation of everything that's gone on here the last five, six years. And if they didn't win, if I told you right now the Yankees are not going to win the World Series this year, do you think anybody gets fired? I don't, I don't, I don't. So it's kind of hard to say you have this much pressure. They do have pressure, no question. They're one of the most, uh, if you were coming up with a list of teams, the Yankees would be very up high up on that list. But I don't know that it's as high as, as the Mets or the Padres. Or maybe even the Phillies. I mean, the Phillies last season made the World Series very much a veteran team, spent a ton of money to get over the hump in, in the guys that they brought in. So uh, to me, you could make a very reasonable case that there's no team in the sport who has more pressure on them to win this year than the Mets. And look, the disappointments that have happened under Steve Cohen, it's not like he's been the owner for that long. But you would have to think at some point, like everybody's talking about, oh, you know, he's like the modern-day Steinbrenner well, if you're spending at that level, at some point, you're going to expect things. And maybe the first year, okay. Maybe the second year, eh, it's disappointing. There's a third year where it's another flop. At some point, you're going to start raising, wait a second, what's going on here? What are we doing? Why, why are we not getting as far as I think we should be?
1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number, 1-800-919-3776. We've got to uh, Leo is in Holbrook. Leo, next up on the Gordon Damer Show. Hi, how are you? Hey, Leo, what's going on, man? All right, enjoy the show. Uh, my qu- my statement is about the World Baseball Classic. Yeah. If these baseball players had to play in November when there was their vacation time, I would love to see how important it is for them to go play baseball instead of going on vacation. It's the timing of the year. Obviously, for them to play now, it means the world to them. But take away a month vacation in the Bahamas, and let's see who's going to show up. Yeah, I mean, I do. I definitely do think, Leo, and thanks for the phone call, I do think it would hurt participation to a certain degree. Now, look, there's some guys who they think – uh, I know, uh, I think Michael K. I don't know where he got it from, but he was talking about a poll of some kind. They, they polled major league players that are um, taking part in the World Baseball Classic, and, and they asked, how much does this, does this mean in, in comparison to like a World Series? And I think they asked 10 players, and five of them said, yeah, it meant, it meant more uh, than an actual World Series. I mean, you talk about having uh, a distorted sense of, of, of importance. Um, uh, to me, that's an, a, a distortion. Now, look, I, who am I to tell them they're wrong? If, they, if that's what they truly believe, by all means, go play it. Um, you know, representing your country, it, it means a lot to them. I get that. So I, I think there would still be a lot of guys who would p- take part. But you're right. It probably would. And it would never happen because, again, what is, what is the goal of the World Baseball Classic? Is it to grow the game? No, it's about making money. And it would be more difficult uh, to to get a lot of money out of uh, out of um, uh, people broadcasting it, if you're holding it in November, going up against the NFL and college football and all that type of stuff. So uh, that's why it's at the time of the. It doesn't really make sense at the time of the year. It doesn't make sense in in March when guys. This is the time of the year where you want guys like kind of easing up and getting ready for the season. No, don't go too hard in spring training. You don't want to burn yourself out. But no, let's have let's have a tournament where we're playing for the rights of the world. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. 1-800-919-3776. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Saturday, usually at 5, sometimes at 6.37, where I run through the things that I learned on that TikTok app. Every single week I spend way too much time on that app, but it's because I learned so much. I really think I've learned more on that app than I learned in four years of college. Maybe that says something about me. Maybe not. But what we do is I will give four pieces of information to whoever's working the show that day. Today it's Julian and Chantel. And they have to decipher what are the what's the true fact that I actually learned and what are the made-up things. There's one true fact, three made-up things, and it is what I learned this week on TikTok. So, all right, let's give it a go. Uh, we'll start. Who's batting lead-off today? Will it be Julian? Will it be Chantel? Who's going first? Uh, we've decided I'll go first. All right, Julian. Very good. Uh, number one. Here we go. First up, there are only 12 countries in the world that the British have not invaded. Number two, Iran, the country of Iran, once arrested 14 squirrels for spying. Number three, the toenail of your little toe is called a spungle. Or number four, newly discovered chemicals are so deadly to fungi 
They have been named after Liam Neeson because of his, um, his action movies. So again, to recap, for the audience playing at home, and for, for Julian, to give him a little time. Number one, there are only 12 countries in the world that the British Empire has not invaded. Number two, Iran once arrested 14 squirrels for spying. Number three, the toenail of your little toe is called a spungle. Or number four, newly discovered chemicals are so deadly to fungi they have been named after Liam Neeson. Now, are you feeling strongly about any of these uh, here, Julian? Uh, I'm not. You're not. All right. Well, that'll make it a little bit more difficult. But sometimes that's the best. Sometimes there's two that you'll rule out right away, and it turns out one of those is right. So who knows? Yeah, all four. I'm, I have no idea. No um, idea. All right. Well, shot in the dark sometimes works. Yeah, I'm going to go shot in the dark. And out of all four, I'm going to go with the toenail one. Toenail. Okay. The toenail of your little toe is called a spungle. you going to lock that in, my friend? It's locked in. Julian. No, you're incorrect. No, that's not. That's just that's nonsense. I don't think the, to- the little toe has a, a the toenail, I don't believe, has a name. If it is, it's not the spungle. So cross that one off your list. I did not learn that on TikTok this week. Feeling strongly about any of those? The next one that I'm thinking of is okay. the, uh, Liam Neeson. Liam like, Neeson. Yeah. All right. Like it. Like they name a lot of random stuff after famous people. Why not? Give them something else to have in life, right? Uh, yeah. Lock it in. Yeah, I'm going to lock it in. No, that is also incorrect. No, that one actually has been named after um, uh, Keanu Reeves. So I just changed the name up there. No, they uh, d- the discovered chemicals are so deadly they have uh, named them after Keanu Reeves. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if you had a celebrity... If you were ranking celebrities based on how much of the public loved them, it feels pretty universal with, with Liam Neeson. Uh, excuse me, with uh, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves, it doesn't really feel like there's anybody out there that does not like Keanu Reeves. Yeah. But I digress. He's pretty high up there, I'd say. He's up, Dave Grohl is very high up there. It doesn't feel like anybody doesn't like Dave Grohl. But I digress. Uh, so we're down to two. 12 countries not invaded by the British Empire or 14 squirrels arrested by Iran. I've heard the British Empire one, but I'm not sure if it's 12. Yeah. So uh, go with Iran around there. And You're going to go with the Iranian squirrels. squirrels. Yeah, let's see. Let's. Why not, right? Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? And you are correct, yes. Yeah. I think it was 2007 they arrested the uh, 14 squirrels for spying. Though You can never trust those squirrels. Uh, all right, so uh, Chantel, we're on to you now, my friend. Yes. Are you ready? I'm ready. You're ready. All right, here we go. Number one, the skateboarder Tony Hawk, musician Dave Grohl, who we were just talking about, and actor Dave Bautista all graduated from the same high school. Number two, historical records indicate that dairy cows, they used to moo much louder than they do now. Number three, bamboo grows so fast that it's sometimes measured in mile per hour. Or number four, the rock band Rush is featured in more music video games than any other band or musician. So again, to recap, skateboarder Tony Hawk, musician Dave Grohl, and actor Dave Bautista all graduated from the same high school. Number two, historical records indicate that dairy cows' moos used to be much louder. 
Number three, bamboo grows so fast it's sometimes measured in miles per hour. Or number four, the rock band Rush is featured in more music video games than any other band or musician. Okay. So, I know the bamboo one is not correct. I know okay, bamboo cross that guy out. All do right. grow fast, but not that fast. Okay. Uh, Tony Hawk, I really want to pick that one because I okay. feel like they all did graduate from the same high school. Sure. But I think Dairy Cows used to move louder. Used to move louder. Are you yeah. going to lock that one in? Yes, we're going to lock it in. No, no, I'm sorry. That is incorrect. That is just, that is just complete nonsense. I mean, maybe they did, but there's no there's no historical records on the, the volume of Dairy Cow moves. Okay. Got so it. we'll cross that guy out. That is that is incorrect. And look, you have been doing very well this game, so I'm, gl- I'm glad to finally have one small victory against you. Yeah. Okay, so then I definitely have to go with Tony Hawk and the other two people. Okay, Dave Grohl and Dave Bautista. Yeah. They all graduated from the same high school. Yeah, they did. Definitely. Locked in? We'll take it as a yes. But unfortunately, it's a no. No, those guys did not graduate. <laughs> they no connection in any high schools at all. Uh, sorry. No, that is incorrect. So now you're down to two, and one of which, I love when this happens, when people cross one out right away, and then you get down to two, and that one that they crossed out right away is still out there, and it makes you kind of question yourself, right? You're starting to think, well, maybe, maybe. But there you go. The two you have left, bamboo grows so fast, it sometimes is measured in miles per hour, or the rock band Rush is featured in more music games, uh, more video games, excuse me, than any other band or musician. Okay, so now I definitely have to go with Rush. Okay. And I'm going to lock that one in. Lock that one in. No explanation needed. (laughs) Okay, Uh, we will say that is also incorrect. No, bamboo grows so fast that it actually does sometimes get measured in miles per hour. Now, it's not, it's not, you know, 20 miles per hour. It's very, very slow. It's less than one mile per hour, but it does sometimes get measured in miles per hour. That's how fast bamboo grows. Look at that, huh? Who knew? Look at that. You, you knew. I, no, I knew, but I, yeah, thanks to TikTok. All right, so we got one more to do here. If uh, Yeah, we have time. Why not? Well, where are we going? We got Rangers pregame coming up 730. We got time for one more of these. Uh, and you guys can always uh, team up on this one, and we'll see if um, – because this has been a very strong, this has been a big bounce back performance by me. The, the last couple of weeks, I've been a little shaky because Chantel has actually been nailing these right out of the box. And that's that. That's not good for the segment. But we got one more here. All right, here's uh, here we go. Number one, the current Pope's favorite TV show is reruns of Murder She Wrote. Number two, the movie The Blues Brothers had a budget for cocaine. Number three, the planet Jupiter hums, and scientists have no idea why. Or number four, more people are alive today than have ever lived in all of history. All right, so those are four big ones there. All right, I'll give them to you again. Number one, the Pope, the current Pope's favorite TV show is reruns of Murder, She Wrote. Number two, the movie uh, The Blues Brothers had a budget for cocaine. Number three... Planet Jupiter hums for some reason. Scientists don't know why. Or number four, more people are alive today than have ever lived in human history. All right. All right. Any strong feelings for either of you here? Yeah, we got a couple strong okay. feelings. Okay. All right. Um, but we're not going to pick the same. Yeah, that's answer. it's always a bad strategy. Unless you're really, you really know, you're better off. At least one of you get it right. Yeah. So I'm going to pick that there are more people living than ever before. 
Okay, sure. And I'm going to pick Blues Brothers. The Blues Brothers, okay. Yeah. Both locked in? Well, I can tell you one of you is correct. And it would be Julian, yes. The movie The Blues Brothers actually had a budget for cocaine, which, you know, if you've seen the movie, it's not really all that surprising. So nice job, Julian. Uh, the other ones are all made up. Uh, the planet Jupiter, no, the, uh, the, the planet Mars actually hums. Scientists don't know why. Uh, more people are alive today than have ever lived in all of human history. No, that's not true. It's been like 100 billion people that have lived at some point. Uh, and the Pope apparently does not watch TV. So uh, Murder, She Wrote is not his favorite television show. And think of what he is missing out on. And that, my friends, is what I have learned this week on TikTok. And now because of this segment, you have learned it too. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number coming up. Talk a little Giants football after the moves made this week by them, adding some weapons for Daniel Jones. And we'll tackle that next on the Gordon Damer Show, 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. ESPN New York wants to make you part of this historic season. Enter to win two free tickets to see the Islanders face off against the Buffalo Sabres at home on March 25th. Just download the ESPN New York app. You should already have that. But download the ESPN New York app. Scroll down to contest. Submit your entry. For full contest rules, go to ESPNNewYork.com. Be sure to visit NewYorkIslanders.com. For team news, tickets, and more, and catch every Islanders game live on the Islanders stream heard only on the ESPN New York app. All right, so we focused a lot earlier today on uh, the Jets, and the Jets are always the center of attention now with, of course, um, uh, the pursuit of Aaron Rodgers and when that will eventually get done. You'd like to think it's going to be sooner rather than later, but... We shall see. The Giants actually did get some things, not as splashy per se as uh, adding the four-time MVP, but got some stuff done in uh, uh, making the trade for Darren Waller, uh, making the move for Paris Campbell. And and look, I don't think that those are the kind of moves that are going to make you all of a sudden jump up and down, but I think they're good calculated risks. They're not blockbusters. And if they didn't have any, every move has some sort of risks, and it's pretty clear for both where the risks lie. It's with the injuries for 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 Waller. Uh, what is he played twenty games the last two years? But the the two years prior to that was performing at a very high level, a Pro Bowl level. And when we went into the off season, it was clear with the Giants that the first two things that you wanted to get done was clearly the quarterback, and we spent a lot of time with that. And then when you got the the long term deal for Daniel Jones, you knew for sure you were going to lock up Saquon Barkley with the 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 franchise tag. And, and see if you could maybe work out a long-term deal. But now you knew you had those two guys back, and that was important. But then you're thinking to yourself, okay, that's great, but you already had those guys. And everybody realizes you have to improve beyond that. So what else are you going to do? And I think what this allows the Giants to do now is you realize you have another, at least you know the tight end is a big target. Paris Campbell's an explosive player. And now you are not desperate where you have to look for specific things. This is not... This was not a great offseason in terms of skill position players, right? There were not great receivers that were available in free agency. You weren't in the running back market. Um, so to be able to, to land two pieces who it's not like you're, you really have to jump through hoops and be creative to think about how these guys can be productive. They just have to stay healthy. If they stay healthy, they're going to be, especially Waller. That, that's a very calculated risk and, and, and one that you're not giving up a whole lot for. Uh, who could turn out to be 
exactly what you're hoping for. Uh, and that's a big play target down the field, big target for Daniel Jones and allow you to kind of open the op- open up the offense a little bit more than it was this past year. So I like both of those moves. Again, they're not maybe the most splashy moves. The Waller one did kind of come out of nowhere. So that one, I guess, was more exciting. But um, now you can get to see, all right, we don't have to go into the draft thinking we have to draft a receiver or we have to draft a tight end or we have to draft something on that side of the ball. It can just be about drafting the the best player available, which is what should be the goal all the time, whether you're um, kind of rebuilding as an organization or closer to um, winning or competing for titles and all that type of stuff like the Giants hope to be. Now, the other part, we kind of brought this up earlier in the show, was about Saquon Barkley. It does. It's, it's always surprising to me that Giant fans, they really have already built up a high level of trust for Joe Shane, which I, I guess it makes sense. I think most of the season, though, was about the, the coaching of Brian Dable. More, I mean, Shane really couldn't do anything last offseason. The moves that he's made this year, you like him. But I think it's going to take a little bit more time before you know for sure if he hit home runs or if he struck out or whatnot. But maybe the best move, what, you know, like they say, the best move sometimes are the moves you don't make. Remember during the season there were there was reports that the Giants had offered Saquon Barkley a contract extension. It was around twelve million dollars. I don't I don't remember there being attached a, a, a amount of years, but you would think it was you know if it's contract extension it would probably be for for three years at like twelve million dollars a season. Not all that money would be guaranteed, but have you seen what running backs are getting in the off season? I mean the the market is absolutely no place. And I'm not saying that these guys are as good as Saquon Barkley, but they're nowhere getting nowhere close to getting paid like Saquon. Like Miles Sanders got four years at $6 million a year. Jamal Williams, who I think led the NFL in rushing touchdowns this year and was sensational for Detroit, got three years, $12 million. Not $12 million a year, three years, $12 million. And Dante Foreman, who you're like, oh, well, who's Dante Foreman? Look at when he got the starting job in Carolina from like week seven on. He was fantastic. He got a one-year deal. Teams do not pay running backs. Outside of punter or kicker, there is no position that makes less. And you really do have to wonder, I don't know who was advising Saquon Barkley when that offer was out there, but they clearly misread the market and, and clearly screwed up because one year at $10 million, maybe they do work out a long-term deal, but that, I mean, that might have been the best deal that Joe Shane didn't make, giving up $12 million a year for a running back who was great and who was explosive, but who has had plenty of injury history, and we know the, the, the troubles of, of second contracts for running backs. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. It is the Gordon Tamer Show. It is 98.7 FM ESPN, New York.